If you have your Bibles today and you would, open them or turn them on to Mark chapter 8. And today I want to talk to you about do we really understand? One of the most frustrating things in the world is when you talk to someone and you discuss something and you think you're on the same page, but then you come to find out that you are not, that someone did not understand. If you have children, you've probably explained to them how to do something. And at the end of that question or statement, you say, do you understand? There was a movie a few years ago with uh, uh, Jackie Chan and uh, Chris Tucker, and his statement was, do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth, right? And Jackie did, but he was faking it. But anyway, that's a whole other story. But do you understand? And so many times at church, we ask ourselves a lot of questions, and we think that we know the answers. But yet, so many times I'm afraid that we don't really understand. We've heard so many different things about what it takes to go to heaven, or what should we expect, or what should we be doing, but yet, do we really understand. And in the book of Mark, we have been looking, it has been miracles. Jesus has fed the 5,000. He's fed the 4,000. All of His ministry has mostly been very public. It's been this very much welcoming sinners, welcoming the hurting, welcoming the broken into what God can do. But this chapter, and especially these verses, everything begins to change. Jesus goes from dealing with the multitudes to focusing in on the disciples, on individuals. And really that's how we are supposed to operate. We are supposed to go into all the world telling them the gospel. We're supposed to go into the communities and to our places of employment and tell them that there is a God who loves them, who cares about them, who died for them, who wants to save them from their sin. But after that knowledge is given, that truth is shared, and we either reject or accept, then comes next. This idea of growing in our faith, of leaving the beginning things, and really becoming who God wants us to be. And so this week we're going to start and look at just a couple things, but I want to show you this morning how God wants to go from reaching the lost, from saving sinners then to using you to make a difference for the glory of God. And I just want to say up front, the first part of this sermon will be very appealing. right? No one has a problem with the fact that Jesus loves the sinner, that He loves the broken, that He loves the hurting. right? You can tell that gospel to the people that are marching in the streets trying to convince you that God is alright with homosexuality or transgenderism or murdering of unborn children. They, they love the Jesus that's all love. But I want you to see that immediately after Jesus identifies, as He shows compassion, as He shows mercy, He then turns it and says, now who am I? You see, friends, you must understand something, that Jesus tells us who He is, and He demands us to either accept Him or reject Him. I don't get to form a version of Jesus that fits my needs or my desires, because friends, one of these days, all of us are going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue confess 
And on that day as a pastor, my desire is that for each and every person who has sat in this church or sat under the preaching of God's Word as as I have been called to do to you, will be able to say, I have heard the truth. I have heard the truth. What great tragedy would it be as a pastor? (laughs) And I don't know how it's all going to work, but someone walks up to the throne, uh, stands before the great white throne of judgment and says, I never heard that I had to repent. I never heard that I had to put my faith and trust in Jesus. And so the question of do we understand is the most important question we will ever ask, and ever be asked, when it is about what do we believe about Jesus. And so if you would stand with me this morning out of a reverence to the reading of God's Word, we're going to start in verse 22 and read through verse 30. Starting in verse 22, it says, Then he came to Bethsaida, and they brought him a blind man to him, and begged him to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. And he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. Then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him to look up. And he was restored and saw everyone clearly. Then he said to him away to his house, saying, Neither go into the town nor tell anyone in the town. Now Jesus and his disciples went out to the towns of Caesarea Philippi, and on the road he asked his disciples, saying to them, Who do men say that I am? So they answered, John the Baptist, but some say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said to him, You are the Christ. Then he strictly warned them that they should tell no one about him. If you would pray with me. Father, we come knowing that, Lord, it is only by your spirit and your word and your authority that anything can happen today that glorifies you. Father, I pray that you would forgive me of anything in my heart and life that would grieve or quench what your spirit is trying to do in this place. Lord, I pray that you would work and move in the hearts and lives of the people in this place today, Lord. And I ask it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. When we read this miracle, it's very unique. It's very different. And there's one other time in chapter 7 that we see something like this. That, that we see that someone's healed, but yet not to toll. And then we see that someone's healed, but not totally immediately. Or someone is taken outside of the town and the miracle is done privately. It's, it's a very different miracle, but why? Why is it, and why is it right here where it is? Two things this morning. I only have two points that I'd like to share with you if you're taking notes. And the first is this, that Jesus is willing to meet us and work where we are. Jesus is willing to meet us and work where we are. Look at these verses with us. Then He came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to Him and begged him to touch him. Now I want to stop right there because you say, well, that makes sense. A blind person couldn't find Jesus on their own. But what we don't always notice is, it doesn't say that they brought a blind man and the blind man begged. It says they begged for him to heal. 
Now, we don't know why this is, but some Bible scholars believe that maybe the man wasn't interested. Maybe the man didn't believe. We don't know. But what we do know is that these men, these individuals knew that if they could get someone that they loved to Jesus, Jesus could forever change them. And friends, as a Christian, as a father, as a husband, I have to believe that. I have to believe that the most important thing I will do in my life as a Christian is point other people to Jesus. If I've really experienced what it means to be forgiven, born again, my life changed, do I really understand the importance of how it means to give my children the knowledge of who Jesus is? Does it matter that I live in such a way that my kids can see that Jesus has changed me? As a believer, does that matter to you when you go to your place of employment, when you go to school, when you go on your hobbies? Does it matter that you get the people that you love to Jesus? I think that's the most important question after you are saved that you have to ask yourself, do I really believe that Jesus can not only change my life, but He can change the life of the people that I love? The person that you care about the most. And so we see this, but look what it goes on and says. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. If you read a hundred Bible commentators, they're all going to tell you something different. Why he went out of town, why he spit on him, why he touched him. And look up here, none of them knows. Not any of them. All they can tell you is why they think it happened, and that's what I'm going to do. All right? You can disagree with me, and you might get to heaven and find out that you're right. All right? What I believe is this, that Jesus was modeling for us something that the world of His day did not understand. In His day, they believed that if you were blind or demon-possessed or something bad happened to you, that you caused that. There was something in your life that you did that God was punishing you for. And if they were to touch you, it might rub off. Think of the man who was beaten and left on the side of the road and the religious and the political leaders walked by him but yet wouldn't even walk on the same side of the road. And what Jesus does here is by touching this man, by coming right to where he was, one, he was giving them what they asked for. Because they asked and begged for him to what? Touch them. To touch this man and make him well. But I believe Jesus was showing us that he is not afraid of catching what we have. That means that whatever sin, whatever shame, whatever brokenness, whatever pain that I come bringing to my relationship with Jesus, that He is not scared of it. That it's not going to corrupt Him. He can meet me where I am because He is that good of a God. And He cares enough about me to meet me in whatever brokenness, whatever mess, whatever sin that I am. He is not only willing to heal me, but He is willing to show up and care about my need. That's what I believe. You say, Jake, I disagree with you. That's all right. You can be wrong until we go to heaven. It won't bother me at all. Not at all. Because why? If in one place they can touch the hem of His garment and He's made well, in other times He looks and just speaks to the demon-possessed man 
and the demon man is healed. Other times he tells a father or a mother that your child not even here is well. Then why did he do this? Because I believe he was trying to teach the apostles and he was trying to teach his disciples two things. The first was that when you do the work of God, it doesn't have to be seen by anyone else. He took them outside of town. That's why the Bible says, when you do good, don't let your right hand know what your left is doing. There are sometimes you cannot help that, Christian, but your heart should always be, I want to serve God and no one else needs to know. No one else needs to see. I'm going to do what God has asked me to do no matter who gets the credit. But the second thing is, He was showing them that when you do ministry, and when you're used by God to change the lives of people, you must go where they are. You must be willing to understand that if God's going to save sinners, they're going to have baggage. They're going to have brokenness. They're going to have things in their lives. And the religious leaders of the day say, we don't want that. We're not going to deal with that. And Jesus says, I'm willing to go right up to it. I'm willing to go where they're at with what they're struggling with, and to change their life. But yet it's also amazing because it's one of the only times in the Bible, if not the only time, that the healing wasn't total. Look what it says in verse 24. And he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. So he's able to see some shapes. He's able to see some things, but it's still not clear. Then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up. And he was restored and saw everyone clearly. Some people ask the question of why. Why did he ask him the question, what do you see? And some people will see it was a testing of his faith. And other people will say it was just he was acknowledging what God was doing. And whatever it does, it doesn't really matter. But what we see here is the simple truth that when God is at work, and when God is moving, when God is changing lives, you do not leave the same way that you came. You don't leave seeing things the same way that you did before God changed your life. Everything changes when you experience the love and the mercy and the forgiveness of who God is. But yet, verse 26, it's once again so confusing because they sent Him away to His house saying, neither go into the town nor tell anyone in the town. I mean, just think about that. Why would you not tell everyone what God had done? And this is why. Jesus came working miracles, but He didn't come just to work miracles. Jesus did not come to be known just as a miracle worker. He came so that the miracles that He did would cause others to believe in Him that He was the promised Messiah, that He was the King of kings and Lord of lords, that He was the one the Old Testament had talked about that was coming to forgive them of their sins, was coming to be the one that had been promised. And this is very important because that's why God works miracles in our life. God works miracles in our life not just so that we can experience the miracle, but that we can understand who He is more. And not just us, but that we can point others to Him. That's why I think there's such a struggle in the world that we live in today 
Because so many times we fall in love with the blessings instead of the blesser. And if the blessings aren't coming, then we struggle with our love for the blesser. But if God is working in your life, God is moving in your life, God is miraculously working in your life, know that it is because God is wanting you to know Him more and the people that you point Him to, to know Him more. Why is that? Because listen to what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 23. That we have a God who cares about us. We have a God who cares about the broken and the hurting. We've got a a God who cares about those who are far from God and wicked. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus is looking out over the city of Jerusalem and the people who live there. Many of these same people would be the ones that were crying, crucify Him, crucify Him in a very short amount of time. And listen to the heart behind the Lord Jesus. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. He's talking about the whole Old Testament. All the times they'd stoned the prophets and killed the prophets and persecuted people. How often I wanted to gather you together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So he says, I want to work. I want to move. I want to save. I want to change your life. And that brings us to the second point and the one that won't be as popular. And it is this. Jesus brings us to a point of decision about who he is. You see, Jesus works, moves, and deals in the lives of us so that we will make a decision about Him. Immediately after He heals this person, works in this person's life, they begin to travel and listen to what He says. Now, Jesus and His disciples went out of the towns of Caesarea Philippi, and on the road He asked His disciples. So as they're leaving... And they're walking, they're probably asking, hey, what happened to the blind guy? The Bible doesn't say that he went with him. Other parts in Matthew say they had stopped for a time of prayer. What's going on? What has happened? Why didn't you do the miracle in public? Why didn't you let everyone know what you have done? And so Jesus asked them, saying, who do men say that I am? And friends, that's the most important question we will ever ask someone. Who do you believe that Jesus is? Who do you believe that Jesus is? So they answered, John the Baptist. But some say Elijah. And others, one of the prophets. You see, John the Baptist was only about six months older than Jesus. He had had a wonderful ministry. He had been beheaded because he was preaching what was right. And so some people believe that this is the resurrection. John the Baptist is back. Other people knew that Elijah in the Old Testament never died. He was taken to heaven. And so they thought, Jesus is is Elijah. He's come back. But listen to what happens. Jesus goes from asking what everyone else says about Him to this question. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said to Him, you are the Christ. Then he strictly warned them that they should tell no one about him. Peter says, you're him. 
You're the one the Old Testament's told us about. You're the Son of God. You're the one who's come to take away sin and to establish the kingdom. He was acknowledging Him for who He was. And friends, this is so important because what we see here is Jesus is going from showing love and mercy and grace and all the things that He did to the multitude to showing Peter that you have to decide who I am. Now you say, well, Jake, I don't agree with that. Well, Jesus actually explains this in the verses that follow. And we're going to look at them in two weeks when I get back. But I say this because this is what matters. Friends, you need to understand something, that Jesus is a God of love and compassion and mercy. He is willing to save the wicked and the broken and the sinful. He is willing to minister to the hurting and the struggling and the discouraged. But friends, after Jesus saves you, after you experience His love and mercy and grace and forgiveness, God expects us who have been born again to follow Him, to serve Him, to honor Him with the lives that He has given us. And what He's doing is He's trying to tell them that it's going to get more difficult. It's not going to be all healings and all miracles and walking on water. It's not going to be feeding of the 5,000. He says, things are getting ready to change. And this is what He says in the verses to follow. And He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. He spoke this word openly. So he begins to tell the type, the, the disciples, hey, so far there's just been a few people that hated us. Most people have loved us. They've wanted to see us come into town. They've wanted us to heal the sick. They've wanted us to give sight to the blind. They've brought every sick and burdened person to us and we have forever changed their lives. But that's getting ready to change. And friends, I want you to see this because in our mindset, if someone asks you, how things are going at church, you're probably going to say, had a big crowd today. Had lots of new families coming. Right? That's how we view success. The more people that we can get together, the more people that we can fill the auditorium. But what Jesus is telling them is, is our followers are getting ready to get smaller. We're getting ready to weed out the people that aren't here for the right reason. And he's telling them that it's not going to be pleasant. And Peter says, and listen, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when he turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things which God, but the things of men. You see, Peter stops the Lord Jesus and says, You don't know what you're talking about. This word for rebuke means strongly correct. He's going, Jesus, everything's going good. Everything's going right. The thousands upon thousands of people love us. They want us. There's no reason that you have to die. There's no reason that we have to face opposition. And Jesus says, you're not thinking about the things like God does. Your mind is not set upon the things of God. And this morning I want to challenge you. Have you gone from being a baby Christian to a maturing Christian? 
Have you gone from understanding that God is a God of love and mercy and grace and wants to save us from our sins, wants to forgive us, wants to meet us where we are, but after He meets us where we are, doesn't leave us where we are. He calls us to follow Him and to serve Him and to rely on Him and to trust on Him. And God will use us, but it won't always be easy. You say, well, Jake, that's not what he's talking about. Well, if you would, bear with me for one or two more minutes longer. And let's read what Jesus says right after this in verse 34. When he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them. So, right, he met the guy who was blind and healed him. He told the disciples, you've got to make a decision about who I am. He told them that the Son of God is going to die. And He's going to be raised. And it's going to be challenging because people are going to hate me. And this is what He follows it up with. Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself. And take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. He says, if you're going to follow me, you've got to be willing to lay it all down. Follow me. And in this one chapter, we see the beautiful picture of who Jesus is. Willing to seek and save the lost. Willing to minister and extend mercy no matter where you've been or what you've done. No sin, no shame, no brokenness that can separate you from the love of God. Offers freely the gift of salvation. I believe the Bible teaches that, right? That God is not willing that any should perish. But what he says is, is you've got to make a decision. You've got to respond. You've either got to believe that Jesus is who He says He is or reject Him. But after you receive His gift of salvation, after you understand the love and mercy that Jesus has for us, that He expects us to follow Him, to lay down anything that this world has got our attention with, and follow Him. And so it's the idea that when Jesus really changes you, He changes you. When God really saves you, He saves you. When He opens your eyes and He gives you the the life and the joy and the peace, everything is different. And so the question is, if you're here today, do you really understand what salvation is? That is the simple fact that we are all sinners. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the Bible says that God loved us so much that He sent Jesus. Jesus was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect life and He willingly went to the cross and He hung on that cross. Not that one, but a cross. And took the sin and punishment that you and I deserve on Himself. He died taking the wrath of God. And he was buried. And he was dead. But three days later, he did not stay dead. He arose 
And He conquered sin and death and the grave. And the Bible says that if the Spirit of God deals with us, if we'll repent of our sins and believe upon who He is and call upon His name, that we will be saved. We will be saved, experience forgiveness, hope, eternal life based upon Him. But what He says is that after that happens, that I belong to Him. My life is His. And He is willing to use me to bring Him glory. That He's going to use me to make a difference in the lives of other people. That my life was purchased at a price and I am His. You see, friends, that's what we see in this passage of Scripture, that He's willing to meet us where we are. He requires us to make a decision. That decision is based on the fact that He is going to die. He's going to rise. He is going to be the only way for salvation. And then He says, count the cost. Count the cost. You see, friends, we need to tell people that God will save them, God will love them, God will forgive them, but we must not stop telling them that once God saves you, you belong to Him. Your life is His. That means when Jesus says something, that's right. That means when Jesus asks something of me, that's the way it is. That means I don't get to get both. I don't get to find forgiveness and love and mercy, but yet my life is still my own. You see, friends, that's the beautiful thing of the gospel. We can tell people the hope that there is, but also that when God changes you, everything changes. And so today as we read this, I just want to encourage you and for you to know the question, do you understand? Do I understand what God really speaks to me? What God is really trying to do in my life? Because friends, I want you to know something. There are going to be pastors in hell. There are going to be deacons in hell. Sunday school teachers, church attenders, people who have been baptized, people who have taken the Lord's Supper. Why? Because they didn't understand. Friends, there's only one way to be saved, and His name is Jesus. He's proven that He loves you by what He did on the cross. But this morning, the question is, what will you do? Will you trust Him? Will you believe in Him? Or will you not? And if you have believed in Him, what is God trying to do in your life? How is God trying to use you? How is God trying to tell you to forsake the things of this world and really follow Him? Pray with me. Father, we thank You so very, very much for Your words. Not mine, but Yours. And Lord, today I know that it's not a popular topic. I know it's not a, a pop topic, Lord, that people want to hear, but it's what Your Word says. And so, Lord, today I'm trusting that You can work in hearts, You can work in lives, and Lord, that You will be glorified. Father, I pray that You'd forgive me of anything in my heart or life that would hinder what You're doing in this place. Father, I pray that each and every person would know how much they are loved, how much You care about them, but God, that You are wanting them to know truth. Truth that can forever change them. Truth that can forever change their family. Can forever change their eternity. And so Lord, I thank You for Your Word. And I ask it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.